three, two, one. <laughs> what? Reversal of fortune. That's why I tell my friends everything happens for Seriously, a Seriously, you had one job. I, just, I, I can't with Jesus. some of these people. I just, Put down your goddamn cell phone. I don't think my dad even knows how to use a computer. Uh, Would uh, you rather? Right, trust me, take no, my advice. No, but seriously, that legit happened. Bonjour, bonsoir, salut, tion, ça va, quoi de neuf? Et bienvenue à des habitudes nerveuses, le 20e épisode. Comme toujours, je suis le présentateur, Richard Rosen, et nous avons une heure tellement spéciale pour vous maintenant. What's going on, guys? This is Nervous Habits, episode 20. I am just back from an extraordinary three-week vacation around France. I'm kind of readjusting to the English language, so if I happen to start rambling in an autre langue, just please, you know, forgive me there. Uh, this week, I know we had planned to explore the philosophy behind a vegetarian diet. We're going to be pushing that to next week. Our guest is actually knee-deep in uh, preparations for the Massachusetts bar exam right now. I promise we'll have him on very soon. Instead, this week, you know, fresh off my, my escapades in, in France, it got me kind of thinking about travel and why travel is really fundamental to a person's growth. So I did want to devote this episode to exploring just that. We'll be discussing all about why travel is the key to developing into a well-rounded world citizen, why traveling alone is by far the best way to become a self-sufficient adult, as well as my first-hand observations on the differences in lifestyle between life in Western Europe and here in America. All that and so much more on this week's episode of... Nervous Habits. As always, guys, keep those emails coming, nervoushabitspodcast at gmail.com, nervoushabitspodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram at nervoushabitspodcast. Um, you know, let me know if you have any ideas, suggestions for uh, topics you want me to explore, um, potentially guests, uh, you know, if, if you want me to have someone on or, um, you know, if, if you have any strong opinions on, uh, you know, the subject matter that, that we're discussing here, uh, shoot me those emails, those, um, those DMs. Uh, and, you know, we'd be happy to share those with, with the audience uh, right here on the pod. Um, so to kind of set the scene for you guys, uh, earlier this month, I spent about two and a half weeks exploring France. And I got to tell you, it was two and a half weeks, but it, it, it felt like it could have been a month or two. I mean, it and par- partially because the days in France for me were really long. I was awake you know, rather than being awake for 14, 16 hours, like most people, I was awake like 20 hours a day. I wasn't really sleeping. So that's part of the reason why it felt much longer because it was. But I mean, the days were just jam packed with um, activities and, uh, you know, things that were occupying my time. Um, So it felt like a long time. And, you know, I'm going to law school this fall. I think I've mentioned to you guys um, on previous episodes. And so I kind of wanted the opportunity to travel before all the chaos starts in the next couple of months. And I had picked France because I've been completely infatuated with the French culture, language, way of life for as long as I can remember. You know, when I was in middle school, um, we had the choice to take either Spanish, French, or Italian as our language elective. And everyone picked Spanish. And, you know, my my mom and and I think my older sister had uh, encouraged me to give French a shot. And so... I started learning French in seventh grade. I was 11 or 12 years old, and I was immediately drawn to the consonants of the sounds, the accents. I mean, you guys know how, how it sounds. The way that they would say uh, l'équitation, which is horseback riding, and pomplemousse, grapefruit, pépillon, 
butterfly. It just everything sounds like like a, you know romantic declaration, or, or it's, it sounds like poetry. Um, it has this this beautiful uh, sound to it, uh, and unlike in English, I mean in English the words are rough and jagged. You know, I mean even even those two words, but like the horseback riding, l'équitation, grapefruit, pamplemousse. So when I was in French class, I I kind of it, it became my favorite part of the day, and I I even devoted time outside of class to learning the language. I mean, they had um, poetry competitions where you would write poems in French, and I entered a bunch of these, and I would spend hours at my desk, um, you know, at home with my little French dictionary because this was before Google Translate was around, trying to find you know words that rhymed with savoir or enfer. And so for most of my life in middle school, high school, college, and beyond, I'd always kind of imagined what it would be like to take a trip to France and more specifically to Paris on some passionate, spur-of-the-moment, romantically charged whim. And, you know, life didn't work out the way that I wanted to. And, you know, I'm 27 now, and uh, I think that I had seen myself going to to France uh, earlier and potentially with someone um, but I did want to go just to see if if life was as if life there was as glorious as I had imagined it, if it lived up to my expectations. And I figured the timing would never be better than it is now. So I planned this trip earlier in the year to see all of France, not just Paris, um, because of course it's a big country uh, with you know dozens and dozens of, of cities, and each one has its own cultural nuances. So my trip actually would start in. Paris, which is the northern center of France, then go to Bordeaux, which is on the southeast border, <clears throat> followed by Nice in the southwest border, kind of make like a triangle, and concluded with a couple days in Monaco, um, which is a, a sovereign uh, nation, a sovereign territory, um, which is uh, located on the border of, of France, and I also spent uh, a day in San Remo, Italy. And having had time to reflect on the trip. I, I can say that it was maybe the best experience of my life and it, it was flawed. I mean, it wasn't, you know, you watch Midnight in Paris or you see the depictions of, of France in the media and people, you know, uh, sitting outside cafes, sipping their their um, their espresso, listening to, to music and everyone's swing dancing in the streets and it's just like a painting. In some ways... That imagery does hold true, but my time in Paris was a little checkered. Um, I got scammed on the bridge in front of the Eiffel Tower. Um, my suitcase and my backpack both broke. Um, I found a maggot in my chicken salad, a, li- a live maggot. This was right by the Louvre. Um, you know, it took two hours to get out of Gare du Nord when I first arrived in Paris. I mean, the, the metro, whew, that, that took a lot of um, getting used to so kind of immediately I Paris the uh, the magnificent um, exalted uh, entity that I had, had placed on a pedestal was was kind of torn down and I kind of learned that it wasn't as perfect as I imagined it was just another city much like much like New York I mean every city every place that you visit for vacation is never as immaculate as it appears when you're visiting, um, much like any place that you live, you know, isn't as 
um, crummy as as it is when you live there. I mean, it's it's nothing is as good or as bad as it seems. Um, but you know, I did my trip to get a lot better. I mean, I did meet a ton of great people. Um, my French speaking ability improved significantly because at the end of the day, we talked about languages in episode fifteen. I had uh, Ian Crowther on. At the end of the day, when you're learning a language, yes, you can sit behind a computer screen um, and practice on, on Dueling or Rosetta Stone, and yes, you can uh, you know, listen to, to podcasts in, in another language or the radio or TV shows, but unless you're actually immersed in um, an environment where they speak that language natively, fluently every single day, you're not really pushed or challenged to uh, improve your, uh, your language ability as much as you could. So that was was a huge stride for me, and I learned a ton about myself in the process, and I made memories that uh, will last a lifetime, and, and stories as well, stories that I'll be able to kind of tell um, and look back upon as being, uh, you know, tremendously poignant. Um, so I guess the first thing that I want to share with you guys about my trip is kind of the observations I made on the ways in which life is different in America versus France and other Western European countries. And the, by the way, the reason why I'm lumping together France with the other countries is that having visited Spain, Portugal, and the Netherlands, I can say for the most part, the generalizations that I'm going to make about life there can be applied to all the surrounding countries in the region. Uh, maybe even those in Eastern Europe, uh, certainly not Asia, but we're, we're going to stick to Western Europe for now. Um, and you know, I know that traveling is a luxury. It's it's uh, a commodity, uh, a selective affordability that not everyone can um, can uh, you know are 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 privileged enough to indulge in. So, I guess for those of you who haven't had the opportunity to travel, um, I think it it is helpful uh, to understand that wh- however you see the world, however your um, you know whatever your your everyday life is like, it's different in other parts of the world. So that, that's kind of why I wanted to share uh, my my perception in large part for, for folks who haven't been outside of America. Um, and I also do want to provide kind of a mild disclaimer. I, I have not conducted any research on these observations. They're no way scientifically proven or backed. I know some of the listeners hold me to a, a very strict uh, scrutiny standard. Um, this is more just my empirical observations by means of experience. You know, I'm in France for 17 days. I see something interesting or, or you know, uh, come to a conclusion. I just jot it down on my iPhone on, on the notes app. I, I'm, I'm just going to run run through these and and um, you know and, and share them with you. Uh, so the first thing that that I had noticed about um, Paris, and this holds true for all of the cities I visited in France and, and Italy as well, and Monaco, the cities are much 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 quieter than um, than America. I mean, there's no loud <clears throat> uh, cars honking. There's no trucks. Um, you know the 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 engines. Uh, there's no uh, music blaring. Um, the conversations are, are pretty pretty quiet. It's not like in New York City where you can hear someone having a, a an argument on their phone from five blocks away, or, or people are getting into scuffles in the street. It was very much, and this is something that that, that I had noticed immediately. It was very much um, subdued. Where, and I think that also contributed to the uh, the air of tranquility and. Um, and peacefulness, and if there was music, it was it was you know a violin or a flute in you know uh, in the city square, and uh, someone was playing a, uh, an Ed Sheeran song, and people were were just kind of gathered around listening to it. So 
it, it was it was very quiet. Um, there was not a lot of noise pollution, which for me, if we were kind of keeping score, like America versus Western Europe, that's a huge plus for for Europe. Um, and you know, I I've lived most of my life in New York, so I can say I can kind of speak pretty confidently in uh, in drawing these comparisons with New York. Uh, but even then, I mean, other cities in America. Uh, you know, went to college in Boston. I'm residing in Washington D.C. now. Um, same kind of thing. Much, much louder than uh, most of these cities in in Europe. So it's just it, it's interesting. You know, it, it, we're going to talk later in the in the podcast about the benefits of of travel and you know why you should prioritize saving up for a vacation, even if it's you know if it's not Europe, even if it's it's uh, you know Southeast Asia or Central America, what have you. Part of it might be to you know give yourself a a reprieve. From all of those uh, those toxic um, blaring noises that you're constantly accustomed to hearing, um, but certainly that was the first thing that struck me about the conditions in um, in France. I noticed just just and, and this is something a lot of you might know: uh, cigarettes. Everyone smokes cigarettes in in France. It was it was incredible. You know, you go out to a bar or a restaurant and. Really, every 15, 20 minutes, whomever you're with uh, says, hey, you know, I'm going to step outside for a smoke break. Uh, or, you know, je, je fumerai uh, des, des cigarettes maintenant, uh, voulez-vous uh, me donner? So it's very much, um, it's, it's a, a, a constant. And I think that in America, yeah, people smoke cigarettes from time to time. Nowadays, um, I think people, people vape uh, considerably more. But... Be that as it may, in 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 Europe, uh, people are still smoking extremely regularly. If you go to to bars and restaurants, every place has either a smoking room or a designated smoking area. Uh, even the airport. I was in Stockholm. We had a layover in in Sweden. The airport had like a, a small smoking center, which was really interesting. Uh, you can't imagine something like that in the states. And this, I actually did do some research on. Um, and you know we could even make a whole other episode about it, but in in America there there, there was a study done by the uh, Center for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, and, and the National Health Institute survey. They showed that uh, smoking rates have declined from 16 percent um, in 2016 to 13 uh, percent now. Um, so it's it's gone down considerably, and uh, part of the reason why I think it's a dual. There are two reasons. First of all, it's the higher prices of cigarettes, making it more expensive to smoke, especially for teenagers. And um, the 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 advertisements, uh, the, the regulations that have been imposed in the industry to show the adverse health impacts of tobacco, sometimes in gruesome uh, detail. You know, you have the the American Heart Association is is really pushing for um, you know uh, a proliferation of those those adverse effects. So because of that. Um, you know, they, they they foresee in America a federal objective of 12% smoking rate um, by 2020. So it's very much that, um, you know, the government is prioritizing smoking. So be that as it may, um, certainly that, that struck me immediately because, you know, you see everybody walking around these days in the city in America with jewels and vape pens, but you really don't see uh, cigarettes uh, to the same degree um, as you used to, so that would that was a, a, a striking observation. Um, people also mature. Actually, how, how do I say this? People in 
brands looked far older than they were compared to their um, uh, peers in America. Meaning, uh, if you were 18 years old in France, um, you give off the impression that you're 24 years old. People very much seem like they are more more mature in in Europe, and part of it might be the uh, responsibilities that they're they're tasked with. I mean, having to learn multiple languages um, from a young age in school, as opposed to in America, where in, in a lot of um, public schools you really only have to learn English, and potentially uh, you can choose to to learn another foreign language, but it's not always required. Also, you know, ha- be, being able to, to drink alcohol earlier, potentially experiment with drugs earlier. Um, it's just a completely different uh, set of uh, socio-political norms. And I think that that could be part of the um, part of the reason. Uh, so certainly that was a an observation that I made um, that you know if you're if you're 20, um, you know in, in France and, and you come over to America, I mean you, you can be mistaken for someone in their in their mid to late 20s for sure. Um, there were a lot of people outside, uh, and I know it's the summertime, so in the States, people are sitting outside, eating eating dinner, um, hanging out on the beach, but something tells me that th- around the entire year, uh, people are, uh, are, are sitting outside and, and um, getting that, that vitamin D, that sunlight, um, that was, that, that was, you know, because I think in America, we, and part of it is maybe my northeastern bias where we have four seasons but uh in america i think we are a little insular and we don't uh get out as much as we should some of its technology is to blame um but that did not seem to be the case in western europe there weren't a lot of garbages on the streets that's that was kind of you know uh a, a very idiosyncratic um uh observation i made in that I would have an empty cup, you know, an empty coffee cup, because you know I was throwing down those those cafe olays, and I had nowhere to, you know, I would walk around for 15 minutes trying to find a garbage. Um, in in the states, I mean, maybe because we consume so much, and um, and that's a whole whole another discussion about rapid overconsumption of of food, goods, and services. But uh, in the states, every every block, there's you know six garbages, it's four. There's one one garbage in each corner. Um, so there weren't a lot, but the streets were very clean. There was just not a lot of pollution, and I think that. You know, if we go back to the noise pollution as well, there wasn't a lot of physical pollution. Um, I think people are more disciplined. Maybe potentially there's more of a sense of community um, in Western Europe. You know, people are looking out for their neighbors, for their their peers in the community. Um, so that was that was striking to me. Uh, I didn't see a lot of animals uh, in you know in in America. People are. Are coming out in New York with their dogs and sometimes with their bunnies and you know seeing birds on the train, all sorts of random stuff like that. I did not see many pet dogs at all. Uh, maybe a handful in each city I was in. It was nothing like if you go to any neighborhood in New York, um, people are there's dog parks and and people are are you know for every person there's there's a dog. So that was uh, something that that kind of struck me uh, as a little bit a little bit surprising. Um, I think that a lot of the uh, folks that I encountered in France were very enamored with um, the American uh, culture, with 
you know, American music, American food. Uh, I mean, every just in terms of like industry, every uh, town had a New York pizza uh, joint or uh, you know New York hot dogs. Um, every bar or club you went to was playing uh, hits by American musicians. Um, I mentioned Ed Sheeran earlier. I mean, he was. Every, no matter where I go, and this is true also when I was in Spain, when I was in the Netherlands, no matter where you go, there's someone playing uh, an Ed Sheeran song, either Perfect or uh, Photograph or um, The Eight Team. They're playing it with a guitar in, in a city square. That was uh, an observation. So, so I think there's this um, infatuation with uh, the American culture, which is interesting because in some ways – the American culture, the American way of life was subservient to um, that of the French or the Spanish. People didn't use their phones a whole lot in France. And we talked all about phones last episode, episode 19 on phone addiction. And, and it is a worldwide phenomenon, but I do think that it's most salient in the States. Uh, there were folks, you know, pulling out their phones. I went to a concert um, in Bordeaux and people uh, pulled out their phones to capture every single second. Um, there were fireworks. I was in Nice for uh, Bastille Day, the 14th of July, uh, commemorating the French Revolution, French independence, and uh, very much people would pull out their phones to record the fireworks. But for the most part, when you compare it to the proliferation of phone use in America, I don't think that it, uh, it really holds a candle. Uh, this was a big one. They they do not like to give you water or napkins or really anything at a restaurant. I mean, I don't know what it is. Maybe I have this entitled American attitude. But if I go out to eat, I mentioned in like episode four, the wonders of water. I love, 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 love going out to eat and having someone just essentially like pour you uh, as much water as you want over the course of, of an hour and a half, two hours. And anyone who's dined with me will tell you, I, I drink a lot of water when I go out to eat. So, you know, I go to France and um, first of all, you know, if you don't order an alcoholic beverage, they don't automatically bring you water. It's not like in America where, where it's assumed. You have to ask for, uh, you know, can I have a, um, a, a, a carafe, like a pitcher of water? And then after they bring you the water, um, you know, then it's like pulling teeth for a refill. I, there's this one, uh, I went to this Lebanese kebab place in, uh, I think this was in Nice, and I asked the guy for the water, and, and it took a couple times, and eventually I just kind of gave up on it. So uh, same thing with that. It's part of it is you're not, you're not the tip. The way it works for tips, and some of you, if you travel, know this in, in Europe. If you the tip for for uh, a, a, the price of a meal is included. So if something costs sixteen euros, it's not sixteen euros plus you know two twenty tax plus fifteen percent for the tip. Sixteen euros includes the tax and the tip. So you pay sixteen euros and you walk out. So I think part of it is potentially they're not as motivated maybe to um uh to provide the uh the what's it called? Um to to do you any extra favors, I guess, even though I you know I don't consider water or napkin a favor. Maybe one of my listeners, if you've traveled a lot or um, if you know about this, you can write in and, and clear this up for me on how the the uh, payment of the tip uh, works. You know, are, are they paid a higher hourly rate rate than Americans? Like, what you know, what's the situation with that? Maybe you can educate me there. But definitely, it's it's difficult to um, to get any sort of any of the same commodities in France that you get in America. Um, 
I didn't see a lot of hospitals there. Actually, I don't think I saw any hospitals there. I mean, in America, every street corner, there is a an urgent care, there's an emergency room, there's a doctor's office. I didn't see much of anything. I mean, it, it's, it's remarkable because Europeans are in such excellent health. Their life expectancies rival that of uh, Americans. Um, they're all very fit, even though I also did not see many fitness centers and I didn't see a lot of, uh, French people, you know, walking in the streets or running or, or what have you. Um, somehow they're in excellent health, but there were not a lot of, uh, of hospitals or medical offices. And so I wonder if what we're seeing in America is potentially this psychopathological, neurotic, um, over fixation on our, our physical and mental well-beings. Maybe, you know, I mean, I, I talked a lot about how doctors are potentially over-diagnosing, over-prescribing. There's been a lot of literature about that, but maybe Americans are just all kind of uh, hypochondriacs. We all kind of have like Munchausen syndrome, psychosomatic disorders, um, where we're going to the doctors when we don't need to be. And I, I mean, you, you know, I talked about this was literally a couple episodes ago. I talked about why you should go to the doctor regularly and why it's important. But then you go to Western Europe and there just were not a lot of hospitals there. They do have pharmacies and the pharmacies were um, much, much bigger and, and more specialized and had more um, uh, features than the uh, you know corresponding pharmacies in America. But uh, that was that was pretty stark for me. Uh, as I said, you know, not a lot of people running or working out. Um, didn't see a single fitness center, n- n- no gyms or anything like that. No one was running. Uh, I did see a decent amount of people on their bikes, and that was uh, something in the Netherlands, in, in Amsterdam, that-, that struck me as well. Very, very few cars. Majority of people rode uh, rode bikes. And in Italy, actually, uh, it literally lives up to my stereotype. You know, the, the Lizzie McGuire movie where they're all, uh, you know, riding the-, the motor scooters, the mopeds, and uh, what's his face? Paolo says, this is Rome. No one knows how to drive. That's very much what, what it's like in Italy where everyone's riding the motor scooters, no cars, no bikes. Nobody knows how to drive. They're winding around. I was in Italy for a day because I figured why the hell not? I'm, you know, I'm, I'm so close to, uh, to, to the country. I might never have a chance to come back. And I decided what the hell I'm going to rent a, a motorbike, um, for what was it? 10, Euros never had driven one before, so I hop on, and I mean it took it took a, a a little while for me to understand. You have to like turn the the right handlebar away from you to slow down and towards you to accelerate, and the thing accelerated really quickly. But I didn't have a little you know parking lot <laughs> to practice in like like I would in suburban America. I was very much it was like trial by fire. I was thrown onto a main road, uh, and these Italian drivers had no sympathy for me. They would they would either sw- beat honk me with so much for the, the quietness of the city, um, go around me or kind of like, uh, what is that called when, when they're like tail grazing or whatever, tailgating or whatever, they were, they were right up on me kind of urging me to go faster. So that was dangerous, but also exhilarating. Um, anyways, point is everyone in, um, in Italy and a lot of people in France, uh, kind of eschew the idea of, of, uh, driving cars and probably why the countries are, um, you know, have limited carbon footprints with with respect to uh, those of, of America and similar nations. So overall, I mean, it's hard to say, um, by and large, is life better there? Um, but I think that in certain ways, they are healthier in, um, in France. And it is a less stressful environment, less chaotic. Um, I saw 
you know, decent police presence. The police were much kinder than, than, than they are in America. I mean, the, the police in America are great, but I mean, they were in France, they were friendly and laughing and joking with me. It, it could have been because I was talking to them in, in their language and that builds like a, a camaraderie, but um, the police were very kind. Uh, and did I see any crime? I did actually come to think of it because I haven't really talked about safety in um, in France, my observations on that. There were a couple incidents. So, okay. By and large, traveling for two and a half weeks, three weeks in France, it was, it was pretty safe. But I got to be honest with you, if you're listening to this and I'm already kind of starting to sell you on the idea of traveling to a new city, you really have to be vigilant about your well-being because I... I had met a couple of friends. Um, I was staying at a hostel. Um, and if you don't know, by the way, hostels are, I, I think that if you're going to travel on your own, a hostel is the way to go because a hostel is kind of like a dorm room where you're staying with anywhere from one, two, three, four, all the way up to 10 different people. And obviously the more people you stay with, the cheaper it is. And most of them are also traveling by themselves, uh, so you stay in you know room together and in, in, in like a. It's not necessarily a hotel. Um, it's it's a little bit more uh, you know services facilities are a little bit more limited, but usually centrally located and cheap, um, and for the most part safe. And it's a really great way to make friends with other solo travelers. So I was staying in a hostel and had made a couple friends in Paris, and one of my friends who was a young woman um, had. We had, you know, been to a bar together, and and she was getting ready to go home, and she had stepped outside. And if I remember correctly, I was either I had either gone home at that point, um, or I was waiting for her. Um, in any event, she was mugged by um, a number of uh, either expats or. Um, Parisians who uh, grabbed her phone and her wallet and um, people say that Paris is a dangerous city much like people say Barcelona the de, de uh is dangerous as well and that experience kind of revealed to me that you can never really take for granted when you're in a new place um, that you're going to be safe and you're going to be okay especially as a young woman um so that was a very, uh, you know, trying experience for for my friend and and for uh, for myself and and our other friends, but kind of necessary to uh, remind all of us that we weren't necessarily in a familiar area and we had to take precautions. And so, if you are listening to this and thinking of traveling, um, just just be mindful of where you are. Um, don't go out alone at night. Um, you know, don't, uh, you know, get too drunk where where you you don't know where you are, and and um, just don't put yourself in a position uh, where stuff like that might happen to you. And and obviously, it's out of your control. If if um, you know, if, if someone's gonna, if someone's willing to behave in a severely sadistic, cruel, criminal manner it's there's not a whole lot you can do um but just protect yourself and be smart about it beforehand so uh that's kind of that's kind of like my psa on on safety and traveling um but certainly uh i i think i could see myself living in um in france living in specifically in paris one day 
and maybe it's the honeymoon phase, maybe it's like the glow of a new relationship with a new city, but I was kind of sitting, uh, you know, outside the, the, the cafe, cafe, drinking my, uh, my cafe American, and just kind of like looking around at the surroundings and taking in um, everything and kind of asking myself, which I try to do in new places, and I recommend you guys do as well. Uh, kind of just like ask yourself, immerse yourself. Can I see my? Can, can I see? Can I imagine living here for any amount of time? And obviously, it's far from my family, and there's all sorts of questions about, um, you know, procuring a, a work visa and. I mean, what the hell would I do, and um, would I be able to afford it? Because Paris was expensive, you guys. Jesus, I mean, it's it's every meal was unless you wanted to eat McDonald's. Even McDonald's was expensive. Every meal was twelve to fifteen euros minimum. Um, so I could see myself living there um, for sure. And uh, you know, it's just a question of of uh, timing with with my career. But I, I do want to transition because um, we we <laughs> have been I've been talking about this for a little bit already. The benefits of traveling holistically, because let's say let's say you're someone who hasn't traveled before, um, and for me, I I hadn't like as a kid, we we didn't grow up. A lot of my friends were fortunate enough to take vacations to um, to Europe or to the Caribbean or to uh, you know the the Philippines uh, or all the destination spots, um, Cancun, whatever, with their family. When they were young, like growing up, every year they would take like an annual vacation. I, we weren't that fortunate. I mean, um, my parents had taken us to uh, Cape Cod pretty regularly, uh, as well as you know we, we went to Myrtle Beach. Um, but most of the places were were super regional, just like staying in on the East Coast. And and so you know it wasn't until I finished college and saved up a little bit of money that I could begin traveling on my own. Um, so. I guess let's say you don't have a lot of money and you haven't traveled and you're wondering why should I travel? Why should I invest, you know, two three thousand dollars into um, booking a flight and setting up a hotel or hostel or, or Airbnb or you know and, and the food and the souvenirs? I mean, it's it's a tremendous investment. Why should why should I do that instead of buying a new laptop or? putting a down payment on a car or investing my money, whatever. And I do think that the experience that you'll get traveling is indispensable uh, for a number of reasons. First of all, uh, I think that education, educationally, learning a new culture and a new language um, is is really critical to your development and to broadening your worldview. Because right now you see life in your prov- provincial uh, city or state or country, and that's all there is. You know, you, you're stuck in your day-to-day routine and, you know, you you encounter uh, people walking down the street and you have your, your library and your, um, you know, your convenience store and your supermarket and your barber and maybe that that's all you've ever known. And for a lot of people, especially in the Midwest, in, um, you know, in the South, but in any of those communities, that provincial life is all that people know. Um, so, but traveling to a new environment exposing yourself to people from different walks of life especially if you're um, if your world is monochromatic if you're uh, if you only ever known a homogenous community meeting diverse people from different backgrounds and seeing different environments and immersing yourself in a new way of life is incredible for opening your mind and better informing your views um, you know because at the end of the day you'll never be able to live a different life. Like you were born a certain way 
you know, certain um, certain background, certain socioeconomic class. I mean, that that you can change, but but certain background, um, certain race, certain religion, uh, and being able to travel and surround yourself with new people in new places is really it's unparalleled towards transforming you into a new uh, you know progressing your development um, into a different person because let's face it a lot of people who are stuck if you think about people who who don't evolve I think that in order to evolve as a person we're not going to believe the same things forever um, we're not going to see the world with the same set of eyes for our whole life at some point we need to to learn more and we need to to grow and you're not going to grow and you're not going to learn if you're essentially sitting in a jail cell with the same four walls. Um, you need to branch out and broaden your horizons a little bit. Uh, and yeah, I guess the counter argument is, well, you know, nowadays uh, with technology, information is so accessible. You can watch documentaries and you can visit places virtually and all these other manners of escape. But I still think I'm a traditionalist that the old-fashioned way of exploring um, a new city is is really best. Um, I think that traveling is also essential uh, for what it does socially, um, for the opportunity to make new friendships with other people that you wouldn't have ordinarily met. And I mentioned in uh, one of the earlier episodes, the cast of characters you meet in your life about how a lot of friendships are based on proximity. You know, you have a friend in in high school who happens to be in chemistry class, a friend in college who happens to live in your hall, a friend who works at your job. So you're only meeting people throughout your life that you are essentially um, they're convenient that are readily accessible to you but then all of a sudden you travel to the other side of the world you hop on a jet plane and you go to Bangkok or you go to Myanmar um, and now you're meeting you know it's someone from a completely different walk of life I was in the the medit- <laughs> actually I'm not gonna I'm not gonna mention this story because he let's just say I, I encountered uh, potential future podcast guests. Um, from incredibly interesting backgrounds, just swimming in the Mediterranean Sea um, in France. And so I think if you're if you're sick and tired of meeting the same people, whether it be romantically or platonically, if you're sick of making the, friends, the same friends, if you're sick of the same business acquaintances um, and you, you know the same connections, traveling is awesome for for just meeting different people and figuring out what you like and what you don't like. You know, if, if you are dating, figuring out like like what what type of man or woman, what type of qualities are appealing to you in a partner. Travel is, is super important for that. Uh, in terms of detox, you guys, I mean, uh, we're we're stuck we're stuck screen sucking nonstop right now behind a computer and an iPad and uh, a cell phone and um, you know constantly consuming information uh, just to be able to to put down our phones and put away our laptops and enjoy taking a, a, a new environment, um, getting that, that vitamin D boost, the sunlight, uh, is is tremendous. And I'll admit, I, I'm guilty of um, spending more time than I would like on my phone while I was traveling. Uh, but I think there's that fine line between wanting to document your experience because you know of the memories that will last a lifetime and show your experience to people that, that come back and also having becoming this image junkie who's hyper-focused on capturing every single moment. It's a fine line um, and certainly uh, Instagram and, and Snapchat apps like that uh, don't do much to help. But by and large, you know, getting that detox is, is um, awesome as well. And I mean, I think that maybe most important uh, – 
what travel does is travel loans you perspective and gratitude and it teaches you to appreciate what you have, especially in America. Because the long and short of it is we're very privileged here. I mean, we we have certain luxuries that people all around the world don't, whether that be being able to use the bathroom in a restaurant without paying one euro um, or getting water or napkins from a restaurant, um, being able to have free Wi-Fi in the streets. I mean, I didn't even mention that, but getting Wi-Fi in France, oh my God, it was it was awful. I mean, I, I spent literally, I was uh, checking into hotels all across Paris because I was I didn't have any data on my phone, obviously, and I was using Wi-Fi and I know I shouldn't use Wi-Fi because I'm not using a cell phone yet, yeah, yeah. but the point is, you know, having the Wi-Fi in America, um, having uh, you know access to uh, to to healthcare, um, to medicine, uh, public education. I mean, and, and by the way, this is in comparison to Europe. If you really want perspective, you know, take a trip to to uh, you know Western Africa and and the Sub-Saharan um, regions, and really understand what um, you know what you have here and, and what you should be grateful for. So that perspective, um, you know, is is priceless because worst case scenario, let's say you travel somewhere and you hate it and you don't make any friends and you're super lonely um, and the whole time you're itching to get back home, it's just going to make you appreciate your life a little bit more and see the world through a clearer, um, more colorful set of lenses. So I think it is important, especially because, especially um, when you're younger, uh, to... Uh, when you're young and you're single, you're untethered uh, to meet new people and um, and have that experience. And uh, you know, my dad, who you guys heard from uh, last month, uh, is someone who doesn't believe in traveling. So, and, and and you know, if you listen to the episode, I think you can understand why it fits in his persona very much. Like when I got back, the first question was like, "Well, what'd you accomplish?" You know, uh, or or um, oh, you know what. Uh, uh, why would you like spend? Why would you spend money like traveling? If you want to travel, we could you know take take a trip down the block. It's like it's literally uh, the perspective of someone who doesn't believe in it. But I still think that if you can afford to travel, um, or even if you if you're in a position where you can pay your bills, um, put away you know twenty, thirty, forty dollars uh, every week and save up for a trip, even if it's just I mean three weeks is a little a little exorbitant. Even if it's just like like a couple days. Um, going going somewhere new uh, I think would be would be fantastic and one more thing one more thing I want to mention uh, for you guys real quick is pragmatically speaking if you're listening to this and you're thinking oh all that sounds great Ricky but I just it's not my budget to travel you can still travel or you should still travel because of the favorable ex- exchange rate in search in certain countries so right now um, the euro, so in, in European countries, the euro does not have, the American dollar is not as strong as the euro. Um, it looks like the exchange rate, one odd dollar equals 0.9 euros, meaning um, if you have $10, that, that would only be nine euros. So, so the euro is the more valuable currency, so your dollar does not go as far. But if you go to other countries, like if you go, for example, to Vietnam, Vietnam or uh, anywhere in Southeast Asia, uh, Thailand, um, if you go to Mexico, if you go to Costa Rica, these are countries that where the American dollar has a favorable exchange rate, where your money goes a lot farther. For example, in uh, Vietnam, according to the 2019 Backpacker Index in Hanoi and Saigon, Ho Chi Minh City in Vietnam, those are the two most affordable cities to travel to. Um, and for under $20 a day, you can pay for uh, 
hostels, meals, entertainment, and public transit. Um, so, you know, if you are a little bit, uh, you know, stretched in for money, you can still uh, have, you know, tremendous international vacation um, if you go to places where there is a good exchange rate. I mean, Europe would not be the place to go, um, but definitely, you know, do some research and, you know, look at where the the dollar is, is strongest um, because, you know, if, if you do a staycation at home in America, um, and you want to, you know, go to the pool or go out to eat. Um, you know, maybe you have kids. You want to take them out for for uh, you know different sorts of entertainment. Go to a concert, what have you. Uh, you can do all that internationally for a fraction of the price. So it just that's another reason why I think uh, travel just pragmatically makes sense, even if you're not someone that that enjoys doing it per se. Kind of the last topic tangentially related I want to focus on is traveling alone because. I know that you guys are probably wondering, like, what was the experience like for me um, going to to France completely by myself for almost three weeks? And the truth is, that was the decision I made. I mean, I could have gone with um, sister. I could have gone with with a couple different friends um, who had expressed interest in in doing France with me. And I'd actually traveled before with with a friend of mine throughout most of Europe and, and had a sensational time. But I actively sought out the experience of traveling alone. And the reason why um, is I think that traveling with a friend or a family member is is wonderful, but you end up being a little bit fastened, shackled to the other person, uh, not necessarily um, in, in a bad way, but you end up re- being reluctant to meet new people or explore new things because you have the other person to fall back on. I mean, why, why go out to... Um, you know, why approach someone that you think is good looking or, or interesting when, you know, you have your other friend to hang out with or, or why, um, why try to make new friends in your hostel when you already have, you know, your buddy right there. So I think that, that that's part of it. And also having to, to consider another person's, um, preferences and, and likes and dislikes at every juncture it's a little exhausting, um, and it is necessary if you're traveling with someone. But traveling by yourself allows you to be selfish, you know, and and um, really say you know say yes or no to something based on what you want, and if something's if something feels right for you. You know, that being said, there were pros and cons to traveling by myself, and I want to share those with you. Um, the pros certainly. I mentioned that being in a hostel, it's it's really easy to make new friends when you're alone. I think that everyone is open uh, because if I mean, let's face it, if you're traveling by yourself and someone says, "Hey, what's going on? Where are you from?" You're not going to be like, "Oh, I'm not interested in talking to you." Like, like please leave me alone, right? I mean, you have the perspective of you want to meet new people, otherwise you wouldn't put yourself in that situation. So. It's easy to make new friends, um, and and as I said, it's easier when you're alone to make new friends than, than otherwise. Um, and for me, it was it was like for each city that I was in, I had a different crew, a different like you know three four different people who, for a couple of days, were like my best friends that we were having meals together, we were going out together, um, we were you know going on sightseeing trips together, and that was kind of exhilarating in in like compressing a friendship into a couple different days. And then, you know, you part with them and you stay in touch. I mean, I've, I've met a couple people on my trip that I've uh, stayed in touch with. Granted, it's only been a couple of weeks, but um, that's been really, really cool and, and, and uh, great to have uh, been a part of. I think that also, th- th- this is a huge um, 
it's a huge advantage uh, for, uh, for me about traveling alone and something that, that I drew from the experience. It builds confidence, you guys. It builds confidence to be able to, to go to a foreign country that you've never been to in your life, to navigate a metro system, a bus system, a tram system with, with no internet connection, no map, get from point A to point B, ask for directions, um, to be able to plan an entire itinerary by yourself. It builds confidence. It makes you think there's nothing that you can't do. You know, like one of the most uncomfortable experiences that you could have, and I, I might have mentioned the comfort challenges from uh, Tim Ferriss' book, The 4-Hour Work Week, and I mentioned he has these four, these comfort challenges in a past episode where you walk around, um, you know, you walk around a city and you make eye contact with everyone for a whole day, um, and no matter what, you don't look away. Um, they need to look away first, and it's a way of, of uh, you know, enduring the uncomfortable just to kind of force yourself to uh, to expose yourself, like expose your response therapy and psychology. So one of the most uncomfortable things you can do is eating dinner at a restaurant by yourself. And I don't know if any of you have ever done this. Uh, it's, it's, inc- it's incredibly uncomfortable. So you essentially, you know, walk into a restaurant and um, in French you would say, they'd say like uh, – uh, est-ce que vous voudriez uh, manger ou emprunter? Do you want the food uh, for here, eat here, or or to go? And you say pour manger, une table pour une, uh, and you know you're sitting there at a table by yourself. And I had this in Paris. The first like 10, 15 minutes of dining by yourself is is freaky, and I'm kind of kind of like calling back on the memory now. It's it's jarring you get very self-conscious that everyone's watching you and everyone's wondering, wow, does he not have any friends? You know, why is he sitting by himself? Is he, is he a loser? Is something wrong with him? Does he have a disease? Does he smell? Um, and, and you get very like, like, so, and that's normal. That's totally normal. Um, and it's easy to, to pull out your phone and, you know, kind of uh, retreat into a virtual world. But what's harder is just kind of sitting there, smiling and observing your surroundings. You know, just, just, confidently taking it in stride and maybe making a conversation with your waiter or for me I actually struck up a conversation with a wonderfully kind French man he's a grandfather named Henri and uh, this is so wholesome but he was having um, I don't think he's listening (laughs) I don't think I didn't tell him about my podcast we didn't really exchange information but he was he was having a, a glass of I think it was beer by himself and he was I think he was trying to hit on this this elderly woman, and she walked away, and he looked at me and kind of said something like, "Oh, c'est la vie, you know, uh, les femmes, or, or whatever." And so we kind of had a chuckle, and by the end of the conversation, I had told him that his son-in-law looked exactly like Andy Samberg, so he was he was uh, sending pictures of Andy Samberg to his his daughter, and you know we were <laughs> we were just jovial, like cracking up. There's German guy and his wife came over. It was a whole a whole party. But the point of the point is the reason why I'm sharing this with you is. That whole experience of like going out to a restaurant by yourself and not having anyone to fall back on and being vulnerable and naked and out in the open like a, you know, like a deer just waiting to be shot um, was, first of all, it was humbling, but it built, it built confidence. And, you know, I didn't just have that experience once. I mean, it happened a number of times on my trip. So traveling by yourself affords you the opportunity to uh, to build confidence to that degree. Um, also exploring new things and having that freedom to adventure in any direction. 
You know, you you decide what you want to do any given day. You can have a, a you know stringent itinerary like I did and structure things uh, morning, noon, and night. Um, you could sleep in if you want to, and then venture off by yourself or with a group in any direction. Um, you know, you're not held accountable to anyone. Um, I mean, the law, obviously, but uh, you can do whatever you want and you have that freedom. And lastly, self-discovery. I think that when you travel by yourself, you learn a lot about who you are um, and about you know who you want to be uh, and how you react in certain situations. And I think that if – how do I say this? A human being is is kind of like a a, a mouse in in a, a you know in a fish tank in, in a cage that scientists are probing and and studying their behavior and how they respond to certain stimuli, um, but you're never going to learn about a mouse's behavior by watching it you know run around the same the same maze the the same the same uh, cage for uh, for its entire life. You have to put it in new environments to see how it reacts. Um, and how it behaves in response to different stimuli, different people, different organisms. And it's like that with, with people too, believe it or not, in that you may think that you are a certain way. You may think you like certain things. You may think you like certain people. You may think you have certain preferences. But until you explore a new challenge, you're not going to discover things about yourself that you hadn't known, if that makes sense. And for me... I'm thinking like, what did I learn about myself from um, from traveling? And I'm, I'm I gotta think about it for a moment because this is totally off the cuff. Um, I think I just learned, and this kind of goes along with with the discussion of of confidence. But I think I just learned that I'm capable of you know thriving in an environment that I've never been before. You know, if you put me in a in in, in, in a helicopter and you dump me in, in the middle of the desert. I mean, obviously, I'm going to have trouble orienting myself, but I think eventually, I mean, this analogy is kind of going off the rails, but eventually I'd be able to to, to find direction because I've never been someone who's been uh, good at, at directionality. You know, in New York City, I, I always have to pull up my map to glean, you know, are we going north or south? Is this uptown or downtown? Uh, and always needing that crutch, always needing that map or that phone or that person. So to be able to, to navigate through a completely different country by myself with a foreign language uh, was very gratifying. And it also kind of pushes me to, um, what's it called, to try a different city, you know, to, to try a different country, to, to go explore Italy or Spanish and uh, Spain and, and learn, uh, learn those languages. Um, so all right, the pros of traveling alone, uh, I, I think I've made very clear, but there are cons. I don't want to. I don't want to deceive you guys. There are certain cons to, to traveling alone, and um, I don't want to um, to kind of paint an inaccurate picture of what it was like. I think that it was genuinely very lonely at times, and that's why I spent a lot of time on my phone. I think that I was kind of compensating for those moments where. There weren't a lot of people around. I mean, I'm someone. I'm an extrovert. I'm someone whose energy is dependent on the people um, with whom I've contact. So, at the beginning of the trip, and for one night in the middle of the trip, when you know the people whom I had befriended uh, when they had departed, and I didn't have a lot of people around, 
I had this lingering sense of loneliness, and, and that's when I kind of retreated to my phone and started talking to my to my friends, um, you know, uh, back home to kind of fill that that void, I guess. Uh, so if if you're not extroverted, let's say you're listening to this, you want to travel by yourself. I've sold you on it, but you're a little nervous about making friends. You're more shy. Understand that it will be difficult. There will be days that you won't <laughs> necessarily have a lot of people to hang out with, a lot of people to talk to. Um, again, traveling, uh, you know, going to a hostel is a little better because you've guaranteed that you will have other solo travelers to spend time with. But even then, some of the hostels I went to, I mean, I was at four hostels. One of the hostels I was at was very, um, uh, wasn't super crowded. So you're kind of at the mercy of, those environments, I would definitely do significant research before the fact to know what you're getting into. But if you're introverted, um, or even if you're extroverted, it, it is certainly going to be lonely. And I mentioned, you know, dining alone can be uh, a humbling experience. So that's something that you also need to um, kind of take into consideration. Uh, some areas, it is harder to make friends. Um, like, for example, I was in Bordeaux, that was uh, the second city I visited. And I think it's totally dependent on where you are, um, and it it also kind of depends on what type of lifestyle um, or what type of experience you want to have. You know, if if you are looking for uh, a spiritual or cultural experience, um, you can seek that out. Uh, if you're looking for a, a more um, you know party going, uh, uh, heavy. Um, you know, socializing experiment that that's going to be available to you, um, but I think it's it's very context dependent on where you are. Uh, also, I think traveling alone, and I alluded to this uh, earlier before, sometimes it's unsafe, and you have to make sure that if you are by yourself, you are always vigilant about where you are. Um, you do not, you know, get too drunk or, or inebriated, you know, under the influence of drugs, whatever, where you're unable to get home. Um, and if you are going to approach strangers or speak with strangers, uh, you, <laughs> I think, you know, this is like a PSA, like dare special, but, um, you know, you, you, you just make smart decisions. Um, and especially this goes double for um, if you are, you're a young woman, because I understand that that presents a totally different set of challenges to that of traveling alone as a man. So we've we've covered a lot of ground here. I've I've kind of I know it's been like a roundabout. It's a different kind of episode. Um, also, side note: this is the first episode that I'm recording in my new apartment in Washington D.C. So I'm curious uh, if the acoustics are going to be better or worse than usual. Um, I'm going to do what I can in post to tidy it up, but uh, we'll we'll take a look at that. Um, software is all the same. The hardware is the same, and, and software is just a question of um. The acoustics, but anyway, I, I know it's been a different kind of episode. I'm, I'm all over the place, uh, sharing my experiences, but just to kind of round everything up um, for you guys, uh, we talked about uh, my personal uh, motivation for visiting France and the observations that I had made about um, the uh, the noise pollution in America relative to uh, the tranquility in France, the maturation of um, of of the French, um, and their, uh, I don't know if the word is, their frugality with regards to uh, <laughs> giving out um, 
the water and napkins at restaurants and also the um, hyper versus hypo fixation on health um, in America relative to the other um, countries in Europe. We talked about the benefits of traveling, education, um, learning a, a new culture, immersing yourself and broadening your worldview. It's like that uh, that line from uh, Beauty and the Beast from Belle, there must be more to this provincial life. That's well, that's why you should uh, travel a little bit, Belle. Um, and uh, you know, exposing yourself to uh, gain some perspective and appreciate what you have in America uh, or wherever you're listening to this from. I know that there are some new listeners that uh, I have accrued from other countries that math's going to be lighting up. Benefits of traveling alone, self-discovery, building confidence, making new friends, but of course the disadvantages, um, you know, context dependent on, on where you are and kind of dealing with that loneliness, particularly if you're an introvert, as well as uh, making sure that you're safe at every juncture Uh if you are going to be traveling by yourself. So all in all, I mean, it was a, a fantastic, you know, two and a half, three weeks. Uh, I, I got, I got a lot of sun also. I, I, um, so I'm happy about that. So I'm just kind of getting back into the swing of things, uh, here in the States. I am really excited about the slate of episodes that we have coming up on Nervous Habits. As I said, I did make some, some super connections, um, super, magnifique, magnifique, connections in France that, uh, that I'm excited, you know, hopefully get one, two, three people um, that I encountered on the pod, um, have some good episodes coming up. I'm just looking through the slate right now. So as I said, we are going to gonna stick to the um, likely every two weeks, bi-weekly format. Um, keep those bonus episodes coming uh, pretty regularly, but we'll see what happens uh, depending on who wants to get involved. And next week, we are going to do uh, an exciting episode. This was what I previewed last week uh, and I mentioned at the open. We're going to discuss what it means to be a vegetarian from both a nutrition standpoint how exactly does one maintain a wholesome diet without the inclusion of meat? And a philosophical standpoint, exploring the belief system of someone who rejects eating animals. Once our friend finishes that bar exam, we're going to have him on here. That's coming up next week on Nervous Habits. Thanks so much for listening, guys. This has been another episode of Nervous Habits, episode 20. We made it to the 20th episode. Um, as I said, uh, please send those emails in to nervousheavispodcast at gmail.com. Keep those coming. Let me know your suggestions, uh, thoughts, feedback, or DM us at uh, Nervous Habits Podcast on Instagram. Thanks so much for listening, guys, and stay nervous. Why are you nervous? <laughs> Take care, guys.